Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. This is part of our Craft Talk Friday edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast. We're running in November, December 2021, in which we're releasing earlier Patreon episodes, Craft Talks that I've had with uh, experienced authors. Now you may ask, what's Patreon? Well, Patreon is a place where supporters of the podcast for a few dollars a month uh, can help us help authors give voice to their written words. And in return, we provide exclusive content. There are over 100 uh, exclusive episodes available at our Patreon channel. That's patreon.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. But for these Fridays in November, December of 2021, we're going to be providing some of our early Patreon episodes to our general listening public. Before I introduce today's author or guest, uh, just a quick reminder that you can find out everything you need to know about Charlotte Readers Podcast at our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find our show notes there. You can find uh, all the episodes uh, that we've released. Uh, you can also find our community blog and a way to sign up for the book report, which we send out to you every two weeks with information about the podcast, good books, uh, doses of inspiration, that kind of thing. And uh, hey, we don't spam you because that takes way too much time. I've got one more plug, and it's a shameless one at that. This episode is also brought to you by my own books. You can find out more about my books at LandisWade.com. We've got information there about my Christmas courtroom trilogy, the individual books, and we've also bound them together in one ebook collection if you like ebooks. My next novel, titled Deadly Declarations, is coming out next year. In the first quarter of 2022, it's a mystery. We got information about that on the website as well, landisway.com. It involves the controversial and long-missing Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence. A man dies while he's writing a book about the Mech Deck, and when they find his body, the manuscript is missing. But that's enough preamble for today. I want to thank you for spending your valuable time with us. We really appreciate it. And now, let's meet the author and listen to the episode. So today's Craft Talk episode is with Amber Smith. Amber is here in Charlotte. She's a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, this episode that we recorded uh, was, again, one of our early Patreon episodes, and uh Amber had talked on the topic that we discussed on the podcast at the Charlotte Writers Club and I asked her if she would sit down and have a conversation with me about uh, her presentation because I thought it was very helpful uh, to writers. And uh, it's it's really interesting. Um, first of all, let me tell you about Amber. And she is, as I said, she's a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, it's of young adult and middle grade novels, uh, including The Way I Used to Be. The Last to Let Go, Something Like Gravity, and that book we featured uh, on the regular podcast when uh, she came and talked about that book on the, on the show. And then her latest book uh, is a middle grade debut novel coming out uh, in 2022. It's codenamed Serendipity. Amber is an advocate for increased awareness of mental health, gendered violence, and LGBTQIA plus equality. Uh, she writes in the hope that her books can help to foster change and spark dialogue. She grew up in Buffalo, New York, and now lives, as I said, in Charlotte with her wife and their ever-growing family of rescued dogs and cats. And in this uh, episode that we're going to play, uh, she talks about uh, finding uh, strength and clarity in her writing. She has uh, five tips plus a bonus that uh, she learned in her own writing and, and, and five more tips that she learned uh, from other authors. We, we talk about that on this show. And, you know, as I thought back to these tips uh, as I was writing about 
uh, my Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence mystery that's going to be released uh, uh, in the first quarter of 2022, I kept thinking back to some of the things she said about, uh, you know, finding strength and clarity. And clarity was one of the issues that I was struggling with because uh, even though this was a mystery, someone dies, they got to solve the death, they got to solve the mystery relating to some other things that are happening. Um, there was a lot of true-to-life history in this story, and I was trying to figure out uh, how to boil it down. Some of the early drafts had way too much history in it, and they were slowing the pace of the book. So I, I had to get some uh, early feedback and uh, work on some things, come up with some techniques. But it all got back to, you know, clarity in terms, terms of, okay, how do we make this more clear? How do we not let it interfere with the flow? So long story short, the tips you hear today from Amber are tips that I took to heart in writing uh, my most recent novel, and I hope you will find what she has to say uh, as valuable as I did. So let's, uh, let's, let's listen to the episode. We're really going to talk about uh, some tips that Amber has for uh, writers that she has gathered in her journey as a writer. Um, so Amber, you want to start off, and uh, we'll just kind of kind of let it roll. Do you have a title for this? Yeah, you know, as I've been developing these tips, I've come up with a sort of a theme called five by five. And so I remember first hearing the saying five by five on uh, the show Buffy. (laughs) Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But um, and I don't know, for Buffy fans out there, you might remember one of the characters would always say, you know, oh, how you doing? I'm five by five. And so I always sort of gathered the meaning meant like you know, doing great. Um, But, you know, when I researched what the term actually means, it goes back to World War II era radio communications, um, and it's a way of measuring both strength and clarity of radio signals. And so it means uh, the message has perfect strength and excellent clarity. And so I thought those two things together really are the two components that make good writing as well. And so... Um, so I've come up with this five by five tips for writing with strength and clarity. All right. That's not like the four one one. That's the five by five. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's information too though, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So, uh, let's, let's dive in. All right. Um, so one of the things about my background is though I write fiction now, that's not how I started out. So, um, in my previous career in the art world, I wrote a lot of nonfiction, which would be more um, in the vein of art history or writing biography, that sort of subject matter. And so when I started writing fiction, I sort of had to cobble together my own education. And so these tips come from um, what I've gathered by listening to other authors, reading lots of different types of genres, and just taking tips that I could make sense of for the kind of writing I was trying to do. Now, did you did you come to this through your own writing experiences or through uh, classes you take or books you read or all three of the above or what? Yeah, kind of a mixture of, of all three. Um, and so the first set of tips come from, uh, there are five tips that I've, garnered from other authors um, really good advice that, I, that I've been able to take away from uh, various places, either books or meeting authors in person. Um, and then the second set of tips are some of my own personal tips that I've developed along the way. Okay, great. So we're going to start out with the five tips anyone can implement right now. Is that right? Yes, that's okay. right. All right. And these come from what you've learned from other authors and that kind of thing? Yes, yes. So my number one is something another author shared with me, and it's ask why of everything you write. And one of the most important things is that it's usually your answer to that why question is never the first or even the second one that you come up with. So it's always a matter of asking why, but then asking further questions of yourself. And so I found this technique can apply to plot, character development, structure, genre, even simple things like word choices. And so how do you go about, uh, I mean, is this like, uh, kind of like that question, what if, um, is it part of that same kind of thing, or is that more of a plot-based thing? Yeah, I, and I, yeah, that what if question, I think 
for me anyway, I use it more as like uh, thinking of what the story is actually about. But okay. when I'm asking why of myself, it's more a question of why does it need to be this and not this? So, for example, with my with my first book, The Way I Used to Be, it's told in four parts that are split into four separate years. So it's the four years of high school. But when I originally was um, submitting this book to agents and editors, it was told in a different structure. So it was told in a now and then sort of format, going back and forth between the past and the present. And I was really, really attached to that format, but I kept getting feedback that that format was a little bit hard to follow. And so one of the suggestions from my agent was to rewrite the book just in chronological order and dividing it into the four years that I was covering. Mm. And so that was one of those times where I really had to sit down and ask myself, okay, why is this back and forth structure so important to me? And it really wasn't the fact that it was this alternating format. It was the fact that it covered a large span of time. And so that was something I could do in the format that was being suggested for mm. me. So that's sort of a, um, a why question after you've already asked one why question, you've written it, <laughs> and somebody's pushing back, and now you're asking, okay, why did I really get attached to that in the beginning, and am I open to making these changes? So do you think it made it a better book after you asked that question? Absolutely, yes. And that was your breakout book, right? Yes, yeah. yes, it was. Yeah. So had you not mm. heeded that advice, do you think maybe it would have been as successful? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I think it would have been a different book had yeah. I not listened um, to that really um, good advice that I got. And you said why as to, uh, that would be a why as to structure. Mm -hmm. uh, you said you also use why as to genre and character. Is that it? That is... Uh, why are you writing a young adult? Uh, why are you picking this particular character right. to, to tell this part of the story? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I often ask myself, because I primarily write young adults, um, and most recently I've sold my first middle grade novel. And so one of those questions about genre um, was, you know, why would one book need to be young adult, whereas another book needs to be middle grade where does the line between middle school and young adult <laughs> end and begin is there is there a line i think um those lines are pretty blurred actually between um you know what's for younger children's what's for middle grade what's for young adult and they do kind of they are sort of fluid mm -hmm. so this yeah. middle grade novel you're working mm -hmm. on that would be more of a, I don't know, seventh, eighth, ninth grader kind of story, or yeah, you know, I would even say a little bit younger, like okay. maybe fifth, sixth, seventh, oh, fifth, sixth, seventh. Yeah. Okay, and young adult is uh, getting into high school and even into college sometimes. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah, I've seen um, young adult books that span, you know, readers that are twelve years of age to you know, adults. Okay, so. You know what your genre is. You weren't. You didn't have to ask why too much about that, right? Except, right. For, except for this. Do you think it's hard to move from young adult to to middle grade, or is that a natural shift for you? To me, it's all about the the perspective. So when you when you talk about perspective, um, you've got points of view of characters that are different stages of their lives, right? So you, they're seeing probably the world through a different prism, and maybe how they explain what they're seeing is going to be in a different voice, perhaps. Right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, more, more often than not, and this was definitely true of my first book, I envisioned it as a book for adults. But when I actually got into the voice and the writing and asking those why questions, um, it became clear that I needed to tell this story from the point of view that it was happening in the now rather than from the point of view of someone who's an adult reflecting on something that happened when they were younger. Do you ever get stumped when you're asking this why question? <laughs> yes, all the time. <laughs> and how do, you, do you put up like a board, a court board or something, and kind of put the whys up there and the answers? Do you do it on paper, or do you just walk around and think about it, or how do you go about it? Uh, you know, any combination of those things. Sometimes it's just a matter of like, 
going outside and taking a walk and just thinking through something with a clear head. And other times it is, you know, really writing things out and trying to deconstruct. Okay. So we're asking them the why questions. And then, of course, with any good story, um, you've got to have conflict. You've got to have tension. And that's mm-hmm. where your point two comes into play. So talk about that. Yeah. When it comes to conflict and tension, um, one of the best pieces of advice I have received is just go deeper, push further than even you think is necessary. Um, And at the heart of that is really to not be afraid of creating too much conflict or tension in whatever whatever it is that you're, you're writing because it's always a process of going back and forth and um, finding the right balance. But it's so important because conflict and tension, whether it's poetry, short fiction, novels, even um, nonfiction, this is the thing that draws readers in and gets them invested. Yeah, I've heard a lot of authors talk about uh, conflict and tension, both on the podcast and, and you know what I've read online and heard, heard them speak. And, you know, that a lot of them say that is the essentially the heart of the story. You know, you, it, it's what drives the story. That, that this, I mean, if it's just if everything's working out fine for the character, you know, who wants to read about that, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you, you want them to have to overcome something, right? There have to be obstacles. There have to be things in the way. Um, and I think the more sometimes books start out and there's so much conflict and so much tension, you almost need a breather. Maybe that's at the end of Act One. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And so, okay. So you're saying don't don't be afraid to go deep and push further with conflict because that will get your readers interested in maybe seeing how your character is going to deal with that conflict, perhaps. Right. Right. Exactly. And one of the interesting things um, I've learned is in in looking at brain science. Um, when people are experiencing a story or having a story told to them, or, um, you know, I think there, there have even been studies with athletes where if they're running over their event just in their mind, their bodies and their brains react as if it's really happening. And so I think that is really fascinating because it also goes back to just ancient oral traditions of storytelling. And often... You know, a lot of the old folklore, fairy tales, um, it's just all about conflict because oh, yeah. it's, you know, storytelling is a way of experiencing things um, secondhand. So we don't have to, um, you know, make all of the mistakes of these characters. Well, there's a lot of conflict in the world. We know that, right? And right. Uh, writing novels is about uh, sometimes getting at the truth. Uh, in a way that people can relate. You talked, uh, I think, in a talk I heard about making it messy, making it dark, but then you throw in this balance piece. Um, what are you saying when you talk about balance? Well, I think it um, it relates to what you said earlier about, um, you know, sometimes there's so much conflict, so much tension, you need that breather. So I think it is finding the right balance between hooking someone in and making them feel both interested and invested and wanting to read more and know more and to achieve that without overwhelming them. Well, I've often said that, uh, you know, as a trial lawyer, I'm now a recovering trial lawyer, and I've always often said that I experience conflict on a daily basis and now I enjoy writing about conflict much more <laughs> than I enjoy experiencing it on a daily basis. Maybe as a writer, too, you enjoy that as well. You can yes. get in there and make it – because, see, you can fix it on the page, right? You, right. It's harder to fix it in real life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 I much prefer writing about my high school years <laughs> than yeah, I did that, uh, actually living through them. Exactly. So, okay, so you've got a little read here that will illustrate – uh, some conflict and tension from one of your books. Which book is this? Yes. So I'm going to read um, just a little bit from my first book, The Way I Used to Be. Can you talk, just uh, tell us a little bit about the plot and uh, so we know what we're getting into here? Sure. So The Way I Used to Be follows the story of a girl through all four years of high school, beginning the morning after she has been sexually assaulted by her, bother, her brother's best friend. And it follows her through the all, all four years of high school as she is really struggling to 
find her own voice and her own inner strength. It's totally silent in the house after breakfast. My brother left to go play basketball with some of his old teammates from high school. Dad needed some kind of special wrench from the hardware store to install the new shower head he got Mom for Christmas. And Mom was in her room, busy addressing New Year's cards. I sit in the living room, staring out the window. A row of multicolored Christmas lights lining the garage flicker splastically in the gray morning light. The clouds pile one on top of the other endlessly, the sky closing in on us. Next door, a mostly deflated giant Santa rocks back and forth in the center of our neighbor's white lawn with a slow, sick, zombie-like shuffle. It feels like that scene in The Wizard of Oz when everything changes from black and white to color, except it's more like the other way around. Like I always thought things were in color, but they were really black and white. I can see that now. Okay, Amber, I was particularly struck uh, in that reading you just did about the uh, the contrast in The Wizard of Oz between the black and the white. You know, mm-hmm. I thought it was a nice turn of phrase that it was like a shift from you know black and white to color, but for her, having gone through that experience, it was the other way around. She'd yeah. come from a colorful world that had been shattered, now it's in black and white. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wanted to read um, that particular paragraph because um to me it's more about creating that tension even in um simple descriptions can really set the mood and sets the tone of the book okay number three um we're getting into uh something called muddled messages what are we talking about here (laughs) (laughs) so it goes back to that old adage, uh, see the forest for the trees. And the piece of advice that relates to this that one of my author friends told me is very simple. If it doesn't make it better, cut it out. But it's a lot easier said than done sometimes. Yeah, you're talking about the, are you talking about the editing process now? Are you talking about uh, your own self-editing or what other might, others might see and argue with you about it, whether, <laughs> whether it should stay or go? Or, um, yeah. yeah, I think it could be any of those things uh, that happen in the revision process or even just in the, in the drafting process as well. I think you gave an example when I heard you speak about how you described juice. <laughs> yes, that, yeah. yes. So, um, so I have... <laughs> Just a short example from um, the first draft of the of my second book. Um, it was the first book I had written that was um, that I had a deadline for, and um, I think I was really nervous about you know wanting to write beautifully and you know convince my editor that she made the right decision by wanting to buy a second book from me. Um, and <laughs> I remember getting her notes back on my manuscript. And, you know, she was doing a lot of dissecting of sentences that were just really overly descriptive. And pretty, pretty prose, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, the pretty sentences. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but The plot's getting bogged down here. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and um, one of the lines that just really made this whole concept of, if it doesn't make it better, cut it out, was um, this sentence, which I went back into my draft to find the my original sentence, and it it was this description of juice. The pure sunlight yellow liquid sloshes dangerously from side to side against the edges of the glass as I tiptoe over to the couch and carefully set it down on the coffee table. And then you probably <laughs> took a while to write that, and you're so proud of yes. it. Yes. And what was her advice to you? Um, so she just crossed out most of that sentence and wrote, the juice. <laughs> <laughs> just say juice, right? Just juice. Yeah. We, ju- we just need to get her from here to there with some juice in her hand, right? And, and right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was such a hilarious moment to me. I was, yeah. you know, reading through the notes in my office all by myself, just and I just burst out <laughs> laughing when I saw that because it just so clearly illustrated this point of, yeah. you know, see the yeah. forest for the trees. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. you can write in the most beautiful descriptions, but if it takes away from what you're actually trying to say, then it's really not serving any purpose. All right, and that kind of leads to speaking of uh, drafting and getting things right and redrafting. 
you've got a point four here that speaks to this idea of first, second, third, and so forth drafts, right? Yeah, and uh, this this is a quote from another one of my great author friends, and it's, a third draft is not that many. So that's all about writing being really an act of rewriting. and But, you know, one of the things I always tell people, and I do this myself, is to save all of my old versions and my revisions because there might be something in there that you can't use. Come on, um, that's like saving your old tax returns and everything. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right, yeah, just in case. <laughs> you don't want to go <laughs> just in case. Yeah, but this is the part you don't, <clears throat> are you learning from it? Is that the idea? You go back and look at what you did before? Yeah, yeah, to... yeah, I think that is the idea. You know, you can't fix something that isn't there, so. Mm, okay. Um, so you sometimes, so, okay, so you're sa- you're not necessarily saying you're saving the bad work. You're saving work that you might have cut out of something because it didn't fit, but it might be have a place somewhere else. Right, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, and, you know, I went back into my uh, files on my laptop, and I found how many revisions I actually have done for my completed books. So I have them here. So my first book, the way I used to be, I have 29 documents in that folder. 29 <laughs> Yeah, documents. so that's 29 revisions. You're making this sound hard, Amber. <laughs> <laughs> my, well, it gets it gets a little better. So my second okay. book, yeah. 18 revisions. Okay. Right. And my last book, 14 revisions. Okay. So. so, and is there a... How many of those revisions come before you submit it to your editor? Probably the majority of them really? come before I ever, okay. you know, have anyone else read it. So even with the 29 versions, you, you were punishing yourself <laughs> over that period of time. Yeah. And did you do that through beta readers and others that gave you feedback? Or did you, yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. So each revision is sort of um, has feedback from somewhere, whether it's um, you know a reader or even just myself going back from the beginning and trying to figure out. Okay, well, this fifth point in the first half of our discussion here uh, ties into what we were just talking about because it focuses on revisions um, and how you go about uh, that process. And you've got a technique here that you use from time to time. So could you talk about that? Yeah. So when it comes to finishing your work or revising it, basically any time before you're submitting it or having anyone else read it, always read it out loud. And that's something I, I've heard so many times, but it actually took me a long time to start implementing it myself. I think I imagined that I just knew what, what I had written, but often when you're just reading something, your mind plays tricks on you and you see what you think is there and not really what is actually on the page. And so reading it out loud helps you not only catch errors and mistakes, but it also connects you in a new way to the rhythm and flow of your words and sentences. Now, do you uh, sit down and read this whole 80,000-word novel out loud from beginning to end, or do you kind of take it in parts, or how do you go about doing that? Yeah, I, I end up reading it all out loud, but, I, yeah, I have to do it in manageable sections, or else I'd probably lose my voice. Right. <laughs> And how do you how do you read something out loud and listen to yourself reading, or is it just the act of reading it? You might stumble on something. You go, okay, that doesn't really work because it's not easy to read. Is that part of the idea? Yeah, yeah. And oh. sometimes um, as I'm reading something out loud, I'll realize uh, this isn't exactly. It's not coming out the way that I mean it. Yeah, it's, the way it's, that I it's it. this colorly thing this dangerously sloshing back and forth (laughs) exactly yes had i read that sentence out loud first that might might have saved me you might have laughed out loud then (laughs) too right okay yeah because you can hear uh rhythms you can catch errors and mistakes uh Mm -hmm. and uh you can find out whether it's really your voice that you're trying to convey right yeah yeah Yeah. and you know and even more recently i've discovered that there are even apps that will read it read your work for you so you can listen to it um, in a different voice, not your own. So 
So talk about that. You said apps will read yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. You mean mm-hmm. you can, how do you, how does that work exactly? Um, I think there's a lot of different ones. The one that I use is just the free app that uh, came up first when I was searching for apps, and it's called Read Aloud. I mean, and it, that's exactly what it does. You insert whatever text you have, and it just reads it aloud for you so hmm. you can hear it. Well, yeah, you know how you can uh, say, hey, Alexa, play this from the 70s or whatever? <laughs> you can also say, hey, Alexa, play Landis's book, The Christmas Heist, and it'll start reading it in Alexa's voice. And talk about hearing something a little bit different. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you have to kind of have a little creativity when, you, when you're listening to make sure you, you go. But you also mentioned something called the TP test. Uh, yes. What is yes. that? So this is my bonus tip. Um, Always find a trusted reader who will read your work in its entirety and give honest and constructive feedback. And the most important thing is, does this person pass the TP test? So what that means is, is this the kind of person who's going to tell you when you have toilet paper stuck to your shoe? Mm. Or if you're walking around with you know, something stuck in your teeth all day. Maybe the zipper test too. You know, you got your <laughs> right, you got yeah. your fly open. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and you if want they're not, to... if they're going to turn their head and say everything's fine, then you don't want them as your your beta reader, right? Yeah, 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 because you really need someone who is going to be honest and tell you when things aren't working. It's like any good critique group member. If they uh, if they say, "Hey, it, it was great," they either didn't read it or they didn't take time. <laughs> To right. really look, because it can't be all great, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Okay, got to get some feedback. Uh, okay, well, this is great. These five tips uh, that uh, you've gathered from others, ask why, everything you write. Number two, when it comes to conflict and tension, go deeper and push further. Number three, muddle messages, try to see the forest for the trees and cut it uh, if it needs it. Number four, third draft is really not that many, particularly for Amber, since she writes 29 and 18. <laughs> And number five, revisions. Always uh, work hard on those and read them aloud. That'll help you. And you've got your bonus toilet paper tip, so we got that too. <laughs> so before we shift to the five personal tips, um, you've got some best books on craft and writing that you talk about as well. Um, you want to just mention a few of those? Sure. Um, yeah, I found so many different uh, books to be helpful for different reasons. So um, some of those are Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. That's probably one of the first craft books I ever have I ever read. Um, also, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. That's one that really helps me to get into the creative spirit and to feel like jazzed about about being creative. Um, the ones that help me with my actual writing and plotting lately have been. Um, Save the Cat writes a novel by Jessica Brody. Yeah, I read that book. It's, uh, you know, if you can get all that in your head. Um, and some people say, you know, like I have Mark Castric on here to do one of these episodes. He's in the uh, in this uh, Patreon feed as well. And he talked about the difference between, you know, a formula and a structure. He says, you know, people react to the idea, oh, you shouldn't write formulaically, right? Mm-hmm. And yet... If you write to a structure that people can relate to, which Save the Cat, a novel, speaks to, right? I mean, right, it's the age-old right. age hero's journey, right? Yes. Inciting yeah. incident, you know, overcoming obstacles, friends that help you through your journey. Yeah. <laughs> All is lost. <laughs> Let's recover and win, win this battle, you know? So I thought that was a great book, too, to help in terms of plotting and structure, the Act 1, Act 2, yeah. Act 3 kind of structure. And Bird by Bird. Uh, it kind of speaks to some of your, you know, just say juice sometimes too. Right, right. exactly. Same thing. <laughs> and uh, I've read, you, you mentioned also Stephen King on writing. I've read that book, which mm-hmm. is a good one. Yes. Part, you know, autobiography and part, you know, just some good basic writing tips. Um, I think he's all about getting the dandelions out of the front yard, mm-hmm. you know. you know. Yes. <laughs> and, and get to... Get that's to a good way to say get, it. <laughs> get to what's important. Uh, and The Artist's Way, Julia Cameron. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's one. Um, I'm actually participating in a course for that now. I'll see. I'll report back as to how that how that goes. But uh, that I, I think great. I, I think I mentioned to you beforehand that uh, I didn't realize when I signed up for it there was homework involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so good. So we got these different uh, books as sources. You've got your five tips you've learned from others. 
Now let's get into some of your personal tips. You've learned uh, how many books over this this time span for these three books has been what for you? Um, so my first book came out in 2016, and my fourth book will be out in 2021. Okay, and so you've got that span, but then before that you were writing that first book over a period of time while you were working in the art world, right? Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, so I had my day job, um, and I think, so I started working on one of those first drafts of um, The Way I Used to Be, my first book, is dated from 2009. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that was, so that was about a five, seven, seven years. years. Yeah. yeah, between when I first started working on it and it finally was published. And that's a little bit different approach, obviously, than you took with the second and third books because there you had contracts, you had deadlines. Right. And did you, after that first book, did you then shift full-time to writing? or? I did, yes. Okay. Yes, so now I write full-time. And um, so I definitely have more time to spend writing. Any nostalgia for the days that you could do one thing and then come home and do the other thing? Does it feel more like work or does it feel, how do you balance that now? You know, I do miss the, um, I don't know, in some ways, I, f I feel like when I left my job to write full time, I just imagined I would be writing all day, all night, I would mm -hmm. just be pumping novels out. And um, <laughs> it the biggest challenge has been trying to set a schedule. And one of the things I miss about not really having time to write is there was this urgency, I had to squeeze in my writing time to like, I have 45 minutes before I have to start getting ready for work and I have to make this time count. Whereas if I have the whole day. <laughs> so you're saying, you're admitting here on Charlotte's podcast that your discipline is uh, suffering a little bit from time to time. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But, you know, that's just a matter of uh, figuring out what works for you, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Um, I think uh, I heard John Gresham speak once and he says he starts his next book every year on January 1st and he finishes it by June, I don't know, sometime in there. And so he's wow. got a real, uh, you know, disciplined approach to it. And he gets up and he has his coffee at 6.30, he goes to his little writing studio at 7, breaks at about 11, and then goes and does other things. Oh yeah. my gosh. So that you're, you're, you're that's not that's not Amber's <laughs> life. <laughs> no, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, you're you're doing a lot of, but but you're also having to do things that uh, maybe John Gresham been having to do. You're also promoting your work. You're out there thinking about you know the next book while you're writing this book, and you're all doing all these different things. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. There's so much more that goes into being a writer than just the act of writing. Mm -hmm. Which could be a whole. Little Patreon special <laughs> yes. edition separate from this. So, all right, let's get into the personal tips now. You've okay. got five of those. Yes. Uh, what's your, uh, and this is, I think you've titled this, How to Get Emotion Onto the Page. Yeah, that's right. Um, so since because I primarily write young adults um, or YA, YA is a genre that's all about um you know, that time in your life when everything is new and exciting and the stakes are sky high, emotions are just running to the extremes and everything kind of feels like a matter of life and death. Mm -hmm. And so I've really had to learn how to tap into that little teenage part of me to get that kind of emotion onto the page. So... These are some of the ways I've learned to do that. All right. Number one. Number one. Um, number one. Take notes and write down all of your ideas, even the ones that seem bad or pointless or dumb. And my favorite thing I like to do is to just always keep a notebook with me. Um, and I find myself writing down just random thoughts, um, pieces of conversation I overhear in the grocery line. But I've always kept journals, and it's sort of part traditional journal, part sketchbook, part to-do list, part um, just a 
an idea repository. And so it's really sort of a living document, I like to think of it as. I've heard other authors talk about this, and particularly when it comes to creativity, is carrying that notebook around. Um, I should do it more. Um, sometimes I see things and hear things, and I have that's that's interesting, and I want to put that in my memory. But then my memory's not as good as it should be. So yes. maybe it's either write it down, or maybe I should audio record it into my phone or something, or save it in some way that yeah. you can can look back at it. So you're just kind of making these notes and a little notebook as you go. Mm-hmm. How often do you look back at these notes? I look back um, quite quite a bit, actually. Um, I even I have old journals from when I was in high school, you know. So this is like twenty years ago now or more, um, because I've always kept them, and I go back to them from time to time when I'm just when I'm searching for ideas or I feel stuck. And almost every time, I will get something that I can use. And journaling is different than what you're describing here, but you're talking about doing a little of both. I mean, journaling, yeah. you might sit down in a quiet space, perhaps, and mm-hmm. write down your thoughts, but you're talking about capturing moments that you see out there in the real world. It might be an observation of something. Wow, that's a really interesting tree right there by the side of the road. <laughs> you know, there are no yeah. leaves on it. You know, the roots are dead. Why didn't somebody cut that down? You know, why is it still there? I wonder what the story about that tree is, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Or there's a statue over there, and it's all... You know, the, the copper is faded. Nobody's mm-hmm. taking care of it. Wonder what that. Uh, wonder what the breastplate says at the bottom there. You know. Yeah. Walk over and make a note of that. So these are things you do and see. And you might hear somebody say something funny in line at the grocery store. Yes. Or yep. And you say that's an interesting character. Yeah, and and these I find these things work their way into my my books all the time, and so. I do. I actually. So have. you're out there casting for, for for your next book, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anything you okay. anything so, you say or do, maybe use uh, maybe used <laughs> against me. Uh, maybe I'll look for the uh, the podcast character in your next uh, yeah. book, the young podcast character, the YA podcast character. Yeah. yeah. There you go. You're taking down notes. You're taking down ideas, even the bad ones. You said. Mm-hmm. Um, you use a composition book, that kind of thing. Do you have a reading that illustrates something that came out of that kind of experience? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, I'm going to read just um, just the f- first few sentences of my second book, The Last to Let Go, because it came from one of these descriptions that I wrote in my journal years and years ago. It's the end of June, a Friday, like any other day except hotter. I take my usual shortcut home from school through the alley where the air is dense and unbreathable, saturated with the raw smell of overheated dumpster garbage. I can taste it in the back of my throat like an illness coming on. But this is the last time I'll ever need to take this route, I remind myself. Almost instantly, that invisible yet ever-present straitjacket begins to loosen its grip just enough for me to breathe a little easier. So, Amber, when you say this came out of something you wrote many years ago in a journal, is that your own personal experience? Um, sort of. It started out that way. Um, so I think I was just on a break at one of my you know, many, many random uh, jobs I had through my 20s. And um, like I was sitting out back in the, you know, behind this strip mall that I worked at. And... It was like a very hot day. I could smell the garbage. <laughs> and it was just, you know, pretty miserable. And um, I remember just writing down the description of what I was feeling. And, hmm. um, you know, I remember afterwards I was like, you know, maybe maybe I'll use that someday. Yeah, so, you, <laughs> so it injects a certain mood into the story, but you went back and pulled it from your past. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, good. So uh, what's number two? So my number two is one size does not fit all. And that is something that I've found true with clothing and um, trying to find your writing process. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we were talking a little bit about this earlier, how John Grisham, for example, you know, has a very strict, disciplined schedule. He he also knows, he says, 
what the last line of the book is going to be when he writes the first line of the book. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, not all writers do that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> right. That Certainly takes a not, lot of not me. <laughs> outlining, a lot of thought. Do, do you, are you more of a, I didn't ask you this, I don't think, maybe outliner or pantser or a little bit of both? Or? I'm a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's part of finding your style and what works for you, right? Right. Yeah. So I've found, you know, having other authors that you want to emulate is really great. And it's a really good starting point, but it's so important to find your own style and voice and writing process. So I've had to really learn to listen to myself and pay attention to what feels right for me. Um, and, you know, one of the pieces of advice that I've heard so many times and I've I tried for a very long time to adhere to is that one that I'm sure, you know, many of us have heard is that you have to write every single day or else, the I don't know, you feel like you're not really doing your job you're, as a writer. Your writing brain will atrophy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll shrivel up and you won't be able to write a thing. Uh, you know, right, next. Yeah. right. And so I tried so hard to strictly adhere to this. And um, I can say it absolutely did not work. And in fact, it really backfired on me and resulted in really being burnt out because I wasn't listening to, um, you know, what what I needed. Mm. It's and almost like challenge baseball and challenge soccer this year round. You know, the kids uh-huh. get burnt out. They might really enjoy the experience, but if you if you force it on them every day, no, I I can see that. I, I'm uh, I, I have heard this mantra that you should write every day. Of course, you should exercise every day too, and that doesn't always right work. <laughs> for you but uh i I think uh, if you can find again used the word earlier balance you know right if you can have some flexibility maybe you don't maybe you don't write in your current book but you write something else that's freeing for you or you write your grocery list or you write something you know that that keeps you writing but not necessarily forces you to think oh i got to write like a writer right you know exactly um, there's this thing in the artist way, and I'm still trying to figure out whether it's worth it, but they say, Julie Cameron says, you got to get up and write these things called morning pages. Yes. Now, I don't know why she says it has to be in the morning. It doesn't always work for me in the morning. I've written some nighttime morning pages <laughs> during this exercise <laughs> process, so I'm already violating the rules. But it's like, it doesn't have to be about anything in particular. You just have to write. It could be, I don't know why I'm writing these morning pages. You know, right. It's just the act of actually doing it. Um so I don't know. Maybe there's something to that too. But I guess your point is, it doesn't have to be that one size fits all, right? Right. It, yeah. It, you know, everybody needs to find what works with them, what helps them get motivated, be creative uh, in that process. And yeah. you use the word experiment. Have you experimented? Yeah, I really have. And one of the things I found is that each of my books has had a very different process. So. Um, as I mentioned earlier, for my first book, I was writing that over a very long period of time and just trying to capture, um, you know, moments where I could sit down and write just whenever I could. And then for my second book, that's the one where I tried really hard to stick to a daily schedule, at least for the, (laughs) at least for the start of the writing process. And I found that it really inhibited my process um and so um you know sometimes i depending on what i'm actually writing sometimes i need total silence i need to close my office door and just sit by myself and write but other times i feel the need to go out and be in a coffee shop while i'm writing and it's just um you know sometimes i have a sprint where i write really prolifically for a few days and then a few days or weeks really intensely and then I don't write for for a few days or a week I I can relate to that because I've heard that people say well you should write you know 1500 words a day or 25 whatever the the number is and if you think about that I mean some days when I was writing some of my books it was like I could write 4500 words a day but some days I could only write 500 words a day, you know, right. because I wasn't feeling it or I wasn't moving. And if you force yourself sometimes to try to do something that doesn't feel 
natural, then maybe you're not getting the best work. I don't know. So Yeah, I agree with that. So experiment to find what works for you. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned something here that I think actually segues pretty well into your point three. Uh, Mm -hmm. It has to do with where this writing takes place. Can you talk about that? Yeah. One of the things that has been a real game changer for me is creating a sacred writing space. And what I mean by that is not only the physical space that you're working in, but the, the mental and emotional space as well. So even though, yes, I have a dedicated writing room at home, as I mentioned earlier, I don't always write there. Um, so I'd like to think of this sacred space as more about um, holding your writing practice in a place of importance in your life Um, you know, ranking it along with the other things that are important, like family, work, paying the bills, eating, sleeping. Um, And I say this because I know from experience, one of the first things that falls to the wayside when life gets busy and complicated is my writing. That's Mm -hmm. the very first thing on the chopping block. So what does your sacred writing space look like, if you don't mind telling us? Yeah. um, Well, at home, I... I like to keep just, um, I have a lot of artwork in my house and I like to keep things around me that are inspiring and beautiful. And, um, you know, my writing room is kind of like my sanctuary. It's where I go to meditate and, um, and also write. And it's kind of a space that I reserve for only doing, um, creative or, um, kind of sacred, mm. sacred stuff. So do you like have bookshelves in there? Do you have? Uh, uh, I do. You have a writing desk. You have a comfortable seat. Yep, a- I have a couch and bookshelves and a writing desk and um, you know special lights that I that I like to mm. use. Um, and are there books everywhere? Is there clutter or is, is it clean desk or what is no, it? No, it's pretty clean. Okay. So you, that's you like another the, you thing. You like the clean desk? Yeah. So it's been and it wasn't always that way. I will tell you. I mean, I used to just work at the kitchen table and there would be bills sitting next to me. Right. And, you know, I found that that was part of the sacred space. Like, I didn't want all of that other clutter just infringing on my writing time. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the process of trying to figure that out because when I went from a trial lawyer to a recovering trial lawyer, I brought... Uh, all my stuff home and I brought all my podcast stuff to this formerly sacred writing space and now now it's a writing space, a <laughs> podcasting space, a space where I do some of my arbitration and mediation work and it's like too much stuff in there, you know. Yeah. And so now my challenge is okay, how do I parse this out and find out, you know, how to make this space or some other space in the house writing space if this is going to be podcast central and <laughs> arbitration central and that kind of thing because having all the business stuff around, you know, that you're mm-hmm. keeping track with and the expenses and the bills. It kind of, I don't know, it tamps down a little bit of the creative stuff. And I like the clean desk <clears throat> idea too. Yeah, but I love the books yeah. being around as well. I love having the books around. Yeah. yeah. Well, And one of the things I like to do is to sort of set some indicators for myself of, you know, how to know if I am letting my sacred writing space be violated so is it I have a bunch of mail piled up on my desk or on top of my laptop that probably means I haven't been writing okay (laughs) or I know especially um as we're recording this or 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 you're not paying your bills yeah (laughs) (laughs) I think you're not paying your bills you've been doing too much writing yeah Yeah. Yeah. one or the other yeah and um you know like for example after the holidays um my office sort of became the space, like the dumping ground for the boxes of wrapping paper and mm. tissue paper, mm. and um, you know we had house guests over, and so. Are you saying your <laughs> partner dumped it there, or are you saying you dumped it there? <laughs> she mm. might be listening to this. She you know? probably is yeah, listening. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I, I probably shouldn't say. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, you got two more points here, and one more reading. Uh, mm-hmm. But before we get to that, does your sacred space ever go outside your home? I mean, do you ever? Yeah, it does. Do you have like a sacred uh, bookstore or a sacred uh, coffee shop? Yeah, or sacred, yeah. I love um, when I when I feel the need to just get out of the house and 
and write. Um, I I like meeting other authors uh, to write, and so I often go to Amelie's. And even when I'm there, I find myself sort of setting up a little perimeter, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, my coffee or I'll have like my hand lotion or my lip balm. And, mm. um, you know, I don't know. I have my notebook next to me. So I always sort of set things up in a way that even if it's not my space, I'm making it my space for for right now. What about group writing? Do you ever go with someone else who's a writer and sit in the same space and write? Yeah. Or- yeah, yeah, I love doing that. Yeah, I know that uh, Charlotte Litt, one of our local literary nonprofits here, they uh, they have some like Wednesday morning, uh, 9.30, you know, there's a prompt and you sit there and write with about 10 or other people in the room. And so it's a nice experience, you know, to yeah. do something like that. It's nice to know there are other people around you doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, number four, I like the the heading, Get Out of Your Own Way. Talk about that. Yeah, so this is all about writer's block and distractions and procrastination. And so one of the things I have come to learn about writer's block is it is not a real thing. (laughs) It's, well, at least not in the way we tend to think of it. Um, for me, it's all about just getting out of my own way. Um, so I think I, in the past, before I started writing full-time, I thought of writer's block as this like mysterious illness, affliction that happens to writers. Um, but really, it's something that you, that you do to yourself. Um, and for me, it's all about allowing myself to be distracted or um, procrastinating, which has always been a lifelong problem for me. Well, procrastination, um, in terms of putting it on the page, doesn't mean your mind isn't working mm-hmm. on the ideas that you will put on the page someday, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know... This, um, is, this is all, you know, rationalization, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can rationalize anything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But one thing I found interesting is, um, you know, I think we've seen some studies recently coming out about um, the truth behind procrastination is that it's not actually laziness. And that's something that has been really helpful for me to see because often, um, you know, I would think I'm not getting stuff done that I want to do. Is Am I lazy? But even though something might look like laziness, you're, you have something you're supposed to do and you're not doing it. Um, but yeah, like you said, often you're working on it in your mind. And you said, um, I think you use the word anxiety sometimes. Yeah, can, yeah, can, exactly. So is this going to be good enough? Am I really doing on the right track? Is it, right. Am I wasting my time? Is this mm-hmm. maybe some of those thoughts? Uh, yeah. So procrastination is really... And, and for that matter, distractions are really about uh, fear and anxiety. So whether it's fear that, like you said, like you're not, you're, whatever you're writing is not going to be good enough, you're not good enough, um, or even uh, this anxiety that I often feel when I'm starting a new project and here I'm looking at, you know, the first blank page and I'm wondering how on earth am I going to create something that's, you know, 350 or so pages? Mm. And so what I've had to really teach myself how to do is break tasks down into, like, bite-sized pieces that are manageable. And that really helps me to deal with that anxiety that comes up. Yeah, and going back to this artist's way for a minute, because I'm taking this course now, Drew Cameron talks about the inner critic being one of the, mm. the, the enemies of a creative person. You know, the inner critic is always, well, you're not good enough. You know, you'll never be, you know, a writer that people will really want to read. You'll never be the artist that, you know, you can be. You got you create all these self-doubts. And she talks about affirmations and telling yourself you're good enough uh, and that kind of thing is sort of 
which I think I wrote a line down when you spoke on the subject for be your own therapist. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> is that part of being your own therapist is kicking the shit out of the uh, inner critic, you know? Yeah. yeah. And telling them, get 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 off my left shoulder here. I don't need you. I want the good the good angel on my right shoulder, not the devil on my left shoulder. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It's It's really figuring out how to manage that inner critic. And for a long time, I tried to just silence the inner critic. But that doesn't work because that little inner critic just tries, just shouts louder. Um, so it's you, all about. You just got to tie them up and put them in a closet or something. You know? <laughs> Get rid of them. Yeah. Um, okay. So be your own therapist. Uh, recognize that writer's block may not be what you think it is. It may not be laziness, but it may be something, a sign of something else, and try to overcome that. So that brings us to point five. Uh, talk about point five. Yeah, so... Um, which is point 10, which is our last point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is all about voice. So I feel like we hear that term voice a lot, and it's not entirely clear what it means. So um, this is my solution to how you find that elusive voice that we often hear about. And when I am thinking about voice, I'm really asking myself questions. So... Some of those questions are, what's your point? And why do you specifically need to write this? And for me, answering these questions is all about getting real with myself and getting under the surface and figuring out how I specifically connect to the story I'm trying to tell. And so often it, I begin with, the, the kind of voice that I use when I'm writing my journal, like a very personal voice. And, and it goes back to, you know, that other point about being your own therapist in a way. That's sort of how I approach my writing. Um, so when I'm writing, I'm not, I tend to write about things I need to work out or work on myself in my own personal life. And I've always thought of writing as a kind of therapy. Hmm. Is that so this idea is also maybe how you would shape a particular story because it, it, it might speak to you in a certain way and if you can and that'll then drive the direction the story goes in and that might answer the question why you're the one to write it as opposed to somebody else because of your own experiences. Right, right. Yeah. I find that's definitely true for me. Um, if I don't have a real personal stake in it, then I, well, first of all... Why write it? Yeah, <laughs> why write it? Um, and if I don't have that emotional connection, um, I, f I feel like it's obvious on the page mm. if it's not there. It's not true then, right? Yeah. Okay, so you've got a reading, your last reading here, that's going to mm -hmm. illustrate uh, this idea of having an authentic voice. Uh, what book is this from? So I'll be reading from my most recent book, Something Like Gravity. I pulled into the driveway, the glow of the day on me. I parked and shut the car off and sat there for a minute. It was so stupid, but I missed her already. I held my hand and touched my palm lightly. I could still feel the imprint of her hand in mine. The thought of being completely honest and all in with Maya was terrifying. But maybe there was some small part of me that was beginning to let in a sliver of hope. Hope that maybe she could accept me, even if I didn't quite know how to accept myself yet. As I lay my head on the pillow, a sensation of vertigo passed through my body, like I could feel the axis of my life silently tilting. Maya was changing everything. So, Amber, just a little bit, uh, you can hear all about... Uh these characters uh, if you go to season four and listen but uh, tell us uh, now quickly a little bit about these two yeah so something like gravity is a story about falling in love for the first time and uh, finding yourself in the process and so it's told from these two alternating points of view of Chris who is transgender and Maya who is grieving the death of her older sister and so both of these characters are having a really hard time in their lives, but um, they find each other. And so 
the reason I chose this particular example for my my point about finding your authentic voice um, is because I I had to kind of dig deep for for all of my books, but for this book in particular, it wasn't just that I wanted to write a love story. It was that I also wanted to heal some of my own heartache that that I sustained when I was a teenager, um, coming of age and, you know, realizing I was queer and all of the things that, that, um, you know, we, we sort of move past often, but it doesn't mean they're, they've necessarily healed those old wounds. And so that was sort of where I was coming from in writing this book. Mm. So nice. Well, I read the book. I enjoyed it. Um, Bonus tip, we're going to wrap it up. You got a bonus tip for us. I do. So um, what I like to do is to try replacing that old adage, write what you know, with write what you feel. And uh, why is that? Well, we talked about, a lot about this writing as therapy, but it it's really, um, it's true for me. I take on subject and characters that reflect issues that I need to work through myself. So I I like to write not because I have answers about things, but because I have questions. That's great. I like that. Great way to end. So we got all right, five tips anyone can implement right now. We got five personal tips, how to get emotion onto the page, and this bonus tip to uh, write what you feel, not necessarily what you know, but it could be a little both. You could be uh, knowing what you feel, so writing about that. Uh so, Amber, thanks so much for uh, participating today in this uh, uh, member-only content episode. Thank you. For, yeah, thank you so much yeah, for having me. Yeah, and thank you again to uh, listeners for being a part of the team and helping us help authors give voice to their written words. 